Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. and a Merry Christmas. Thank you for joining us for another episode of TV7 Europa Stands. This past year of 2021 will be marked in history as a year of transition, a year in which failed policies of containment matured into strategic competition, challenging a so-called rules-based order that developed over the years to ensure global stability. What could we as Europeans learn from this past year at a time when both internal and external forces are engaged in a multi-layered offensive to reshape this continent's identity? I'm Jonathan Hessen and joining me for today's deliberations are General Klaus Naumann, who is the former Chief of General Staff of the Bundeswehr as well as the Chairman of NATO's Military Committee. Thank you for joining us, sir. My pleasure. Dr. Rafael Baraki, who is the CEO of Worldwide Strategy and who formerly served as the Spanish National Security Advisor. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Thank you for having me. Colonel Richard Camp, a former British infantry commander and head of the International Counterterrorism Intelligence Team at the British Cabinet Office. Thank Good you to be here. Thanks. And also Mr. Timo Soini, who is Finland's former Minister of Foreign Affairs and Deputy Prime Minister. Thank you for joining us as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are, of course, at the uh, end of 2021, and therefore I'd like to recapture the most significant moments of this past year. And if we may start with you, General, what, in your opinion, is the most significant moment of 2021? Well, I would differentiate between internal and external events. We'll start with the external events, and I think there is, without any doubt, in my view, the return of the United States of America to the international scene after President Trump's uh, tour of office. It was expressed by President Biden, America is back. Uh, and now we, at the end of the year, I think we are increasingly doubtful whether he is able to live up to that and whether he is able to uh, bring together the deeply divided United States and bring them back into a role of leadership, international leadership, which we Europeans badly need. Then, of course, uh, we have seen uh, international see, uh, events which are really uh, very difficult for us Europeans to cope with. And I, in my mind, at this very moment is, of course, the situation in Ukraine and the behavior of Russia, which undoubtedly is trying to divide Europe and NATO as much as they can and to install a new European order under their control. And the next element I would like to mention is uh, the development in the Far East, in China's grip to establish a new international order, a world order which is dominated by China. These, I think, are the external events which I would have in mind at this point in time. And for that reason, picking up your introduction, I should say possibly in 100 years' time, 
historians may look back and will say, this was the beginning of the end of the West. I, I hope that we will be able to annihilate that impression in the years to come. Indeed. But let me end with an internal event. Uh, of course, I do not refer to Corona, but uh, to the, uh, the end of the tour of Chancellor Merkel. Uh, after 16 years, she stepped down. And with that, uh, I think uh, an element of stability in Europe disappeared and the divided Europe will have to cope with a new government in Germany, which is an experiment for Germany as well. For the first time, three very different parties are forming a government, and uh, that is not a signal which I would say is a signal of hope for Europe, which is trying to cope with dividing elements. Indeed. Dr. Bardaki? I agree with uh, General Naumann in that the, probably the most important strategic event in this year has been the role of America in the world scene. I would say that uh, surprisingly we have seen a continuity of a shrinking America uh, despite the rhetoric and the official declaration of uh, the administration of President Biden, uh, the abdication of America in certain areas like uh, in the Middle East, uh, and the lack of interest in Europe and, uh, and other dramatic events like in Afghanistan uh, makes me think that uh, what we're seeing is uh, disengaging America with the exception of the Pacific and China, obviously. Uh, but um, we, we are lacking the leadership role of America in the world. No? Uh, in the European context, I think uh, the disappearance of uh, the leadership of Angela Merkel after so many years leave us with uh, no clear leaders in the continental Europe anymore. And I don't know how that will affect the dynamics in that complex situation we have, like a coronavirus, the economic crisis, and the mounting problem with immigration and terrorism as well. No? So we have to wait and see what, what come up after the, the retirement of uh, Chancellor Merkel. Indeed. Colonel Kemp? I would say there are two uh, key strategic issues from this year. One extremely bad and one pretty good. And the bad one, obviously the greatest catastrophe that's happened to the West probably since the Second World War, uh, was the, the defeat of the West in Afghanistan, the decision by President Biden to withdraw without any conditions from Afghanistan which compelled NATO to do the same thing. And it not only showed um, the US to be extremely weak, but it showed NATO to be extremely weak. It showed that NATO was incapable of acting without the US in any way, shape or form. Um, and it's not just a catastrophe for the people of Afghanistan, of course, although they, they will and have been suffering immensely from the rule of the Taliban. But it's also a, a huge problem for us in Europe. We, we, we have already faced and we will face even more terrorist attacks either emanating from Afghanistan or inspired and encouraged by the jihadist victory in Afghanistan. And, and on top of that, probably the, the, the greatest impact is the strategic damage it's done to the credibility of the Western alliance. Uh, and I, I suspect that some of the actions of President uh, Putin and other despots around the world are caused these days by a lack of fear of the US, a lack of uh, a lack of thought that there might be U.S. resolve in countering some of their actions. Um, and, and I think the second event, which is a good thing, 
is the AUKUS alliance, the Australia-UK-US strategic alliance, which I would hope to be the foundation of a much wider alliance to, to really take the fight to China and to, and to try and contain China and prevent China's continued aggression against not only the region but also the world. Indeed. Mr. Soini? Yeah, I think also that uh, the, the role of the U.S. Uh, uh, hasn't been uh, the kind of uh, what we all hoped for, and it has been more or less lip service, uh, the, the, the movements to strengthen the alliances and, 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 and Europe and, and presence, uh, uh, heavy presence in, in, in the topical areas. I also think that Russia uh, because of uh, uh, regime and administration changes both in US and in, 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 in Germany, they are testing. But I also think, like Richard said, that maybe Putin was encouraged by the weakness of the West scene in Afghanistan, that this is, this is the moment to test, because uh, no obvious reaction has emerged. And that is uh, very clearly the, the consequence of that uh, he will try to rock the boat, test uh, both Biden, both uh, new German uh, government and Europe as a whole. And he can also use proxies, like uh, proxies are used in Middle East many times, but uh, uh, Belarus was a proxy of Russia, what comes to the uh, asylum seekers crisis. And we all have to thank Poland that they have the firmness that uh, Europe did not have. Indeed. A lack of leadership is quite evident, unfortunately, and with uh, Angela Merkel stepping down, doesn't matter if you agreed with her or didn't agree with her, she was a factor of leadership, something that uh, is going to be missed here in, in this European continent. However, uh, at this stage, what can be done in order to protect Europe? And I'd like to raise a quote of you, General Nauman, uh, which you said back in February of 2019. Uh, and I sa you said the following, defending Europe is politically impossible without the inclusion of the United Kingdom, Norway, Iceland, and even Turkey. And in terms of geostrategy, it is not feasible without control of the North Atlantic and adjacent parts of the Arctic Ocean. Mm -hmm. With those countries mentioned in, in what you've mentioned, it seems like Europe is so deeply divided, lack of leadership. How can Europe be defended at this stage when all of this is just not uh, being put together? Well, if our political leaders would understand what I said and could agree to that, which is a, a geostrategic reality, then I think they would have a, a motivation to rally their people behind them since Europe is challenged. Europe has to play a global role, without any doubt. If we want to survive as, uh, as one of the world's most powerful economic uh, concentrations, which the European Union is, then we have to do this in all aspects of international politics, and that uh, refers to security as well. And we are challenged by China, we are challenged by Russia. Uh, I think much more by China than by Russia since uh, China is, uh, has a, a strategic concept which is comprehensive and which is a, a long-term concept. Russia is acting on a regional basis and wants to divide Europe, 
the European Union and NATO wants to get the Americans out of Europe in order to be the dominant player in Europe. Well, if we see that, then we have to stand together. We have to rally once again, as we did it in 1949. Indeed. Dr. Bardachi, what's your take on this? Well, I think uh, uh, Europe is divided, and uh, I don't see uh, yet the forces to glue and cement a stronger coalition, whether within NATO or within, within the European Union. As you know, uh, you are aware that NATO is launching a new exercise of a new strategic concept because it's lacking direction. But sincerely, when I look at the divergent views from the north to the south, to the east, to the west, I don't know what we need is an strategic concept of an autopsy because uh, the, the, the organization is lacking the, vi the vigor and the strength to put together all the forces and, and, and counteract against the, the threats and challenges coming from the east and coming from other parts of the world. Uh, we need political leadership. And in order to get political leadership, we need political leaders. And when you don't have leaders, you don't have leadership. And when there is confusion, it comes chaos afterwards. So the institutions we had in the past are still there, but are surviving with the water, you know, just uh, uh, around the nose. Uh, and without those leaders, frank, direct, and strong enough to tell the people what is needed, I don't think we will survive, sincerely. Indeed. Colonel Kemp, your take? I, I would say that um, <clears throat> Europe means nothing. People don't fight for Europe. They're not going to fight and stand up for Europe. Europe is a continent. It's a geographical area. It isn't a political entity. Uh, it, albeit the EU has tried to make it one, but not really with success, not really with the support of most people in Europe, I would say. Um, and the EU and the liberal leaders in Europe have done all they can to dismantle national spirit, national character, national culture, national feelings and national strength. They've done all that in the interests of internationalism and, and European integration. And I think if you continue down that path, then the, Europe does have no hope. There, isn't, there, there will be nothing to stand up for. So I do believe that, albeit the European Union should remain, it should continue to exist. I think it should draw back from the position it's taken of trying to become a, a super state and become a confederation of, of independent sovereign states who retain their own culture and their own uh, character and their own fighting spirit rather than try and and uh, and kind of merge the whole thing into one amorphous mass. Mr. Sony, your take on it? Yeah, I, I think that uh, the security is the, the basic uh, element what we have to guarantee and, and that means that NATO uh, could also enlarge. We are not uh, in Finland uh, members of the NATO, but uh, how long actually we can, uh, you know, in a way, play that game that uh, we, we can defend ourselves without uh, prong, strong presence of U.S. in, in, in the Europe. Uh, and and the, the answer is we cannot. And that is absolutely vital, the, the, the cooperation between uh, United States and Europe. And also in economic ways. We used to have the negotiations with TTIP and all the economic uh, things going forward, but nothing uh, that kind of has happened for, for years. And, and that is one of the big issues. And then uh, the leaders, political leaders, should concentrate on security and economics. We are playing all kinds of 
games with wokeism and and whether the males are males or females are females. This is absolutely rubbish and a uh, uh, waste of time and space. Indeed. Well, uh, just a short follow-up then from you. Yeah, um, uh, I would, uh, to some extent, I cannot quite agree with what Richard said. The way back to nationalism in Europe, I don't think that this is uh, the proper recipe. I agree quite with you that you cannot get soldiers to fight for something like Europe. They can only fight for their country and they have to rally behind the flag. But we are in a systemic conflict. We are challenged by China who wants to impose a new world order in which the individual has no rights but has to follow the rules written by Confucius. And we, the Europeans, we have learned over history, uh, over centuries, that there is a better idea. The idea that the individual and its individual freedom, its rights, are protected by the power of law. And that is the idea of the West. And to give it up for nationalism, I think would Europe lead back into what we have seen in the last 300 years. And that was a bloody mess. Colonel Kahn? No, I'm not dis I don't disagree. I don't think we should give up the rule of law. <clears throat> and I don't think we should give up the idea of having international and European cooperation. But in the same way as we didn't fight in the last war, the last world war, for Britain and America, it was each country fighting for themselves and the other countries were fighting were doing that. And I think you can't, you can't expect... Um, you can't expect to grind down national spirit and national culture, which the European Union has done and, and, has, and is continuing to try and do, and expect leadership and expect people, to, countries to stand up for themselves. I don't think, I don't think we've got a, a, a huge difference of opinion on this, but I just do think that without, without recognising the individual national characteristics and the need to maintain individual national freedoms, and you can call it patriotism if you wish, rather than nationalism, I think we could find a line to agree with each other. And what I have in mind is a Europe which General de Gaulle once coined as the Europe of the fatherlands, in which the identity of the fatherland is preserved, but at the same time there is an umbrella, a European umbrella, which keeps it all together, unites the best of all European nations to one common entity and to one common goal. That, I think, is a line where we po possibly could agree on. Indeed. Well, uh, I'd like to move to a quote that uh, Dr. Bardakhi actually uh, mentioned in uh, August of this year. And he said as follows, there is a set of forces that are pushing the Western world into the abyss. First, the ideological damage caused by liberalism, for which the free market is the cornerstone of progress and freedom. Since the 1980s and 1990s, the ideology of globalization has been embraced because it was believed that the market, in addition to goods, produced freedom. But we already know that this is not the case. Would you like to elaborate on it? Well, yes, I think, uh, I think we always criticize very easily you know, the Marxists and the left forces. But uh, our own civilization has been undermined by the uh, culture of, uh, of globalism in the sense that has put all the emphasis in the ability of an individual to buy cheaper, faster, and more goods. 
forgetting that we are not only homo economicus, but we have a soul, we have an identity, we have values. And liberalism has made the person just an economic unit. And, and uh, what we have seen everywhere in, in, in Europe and in America and in other parts of the world is that people are, are not happy enough just with this role of economic, <coughs> economic unit. We have the families, we have all the ties, from tribalism to whatever, but we are much more than that, just an economic brick in the system. And uh, I think uh, liberal parties have to understand that, that without identity, without national feelings, without uh, patriotism, uh, we are really shooting ourselves, in, in, not in the feet, but in the head. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, uh, and that's something we have to redress in, in current politics, because the woke movements, all these kind of confusions of uh, gender, education, we are creating a monster in, in the, for the next generation. People that don't understand anything of what we have been in the last uh, thousand years, that will be willing to die to protect a butterfly, but will reject to defend the flag, you know? that will consider the national anthem a kind of, uh, of uh, scene, but will, will jump into any pop concert. No? I think we, we need to, to, to redress our, our compass from our moral position. And that's something that liberal parties focus on economics only, in better managerial skills, and producing better uh, material benefit for the people are not enough to give in the current circumstances. Mr. Soini? Yeah, I think we are on the road to hell <laughs> in, in that sense that, uh, that uh, for example, the family is, is scorned in, in many ways and the, the, the redefinition of marriage and everything else. So I, I think that uh, that is a very bad, bad thing what has happened. And then uh, also uh, the economic side, for example, now we see inflation in the eurozone, roughly six percent. This uh, this is this is uh, quite uh, quite a problem in due course of time. And then we have the straight jacket of euro, uh, far one size fits all. When when you have uh, usually it's the interest or the inflation, and there are that these kind of factors, who who are who you can deal with with the economics politics but if if you don't have uh, taxation at the same token when you have some other parts it, the, the system cannot cannot function and and that is what I'm worried about what comes to the Europe but the good thing in Europe is that we have a market a free market for hundreds of millions of people but if we really uh, we have lost our Judeo-Christian roots and we have uh, uh, forgotten that the three capitals are essential to the Western civilization, Athens and democracy, Rome, rule of law and Jerusalem's faith. And if we, if we don't have these cornerstones, we won't prevail. Colonel Kemp? Yeah, and I think, I think um, if we were living in a benign world, then all of these, you know, the, the, the liberal policies that have resulted in the situation that really I think Raphael has described, liberal policies by both left and right, by the way. If we were living in a benign world, then that would be fine. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be having this discussion. It wouldn't be a problem, but we're not. Um, we're living in a world where there are, there are people and countries uh, and, and entities that are doing their best to undermine us and to attack us. And, and, and so, you know, some of it behind the scenes, some of it in the form of disinformation, propaganda, etc. 
Um, and, and we've lost the ability, I think, to stand up for ourselves in many ways. And it, we'll probably speak about it later on. But the um, you just have to look at uh, Belarus. And, and as Timo mentioned, we have to be thankful for Poland because Poland did stand up for themselves. I don't think many other countries would stand up for themselves against Belarusian aggression using um, refugees or using migrants as a weapon against yeah. us. And I think it's that kind of strength that somehow we need to find in other European countries. General Nauman? Well, I, I agree in particular with Timo. And I think uh, our value-based system could falter if the economic basis uh, would disappear. And we are, we are at risk at the moment. We, we introduced the common currency, but uh, we failed to introduce common financial policies. Policy. And uh, that, I think, is a big deficiency which we have to correct. Since we, we will not be able to rally the Europeans behind the different European flags without a sound economic basis. And uh, for that reason, I agree with you, that is presumably the first instrument which needs to be fixed before we look at other possibilities. Indeed. Well, uh, you spoke earlier about uh, the, the challenges that Afghanistan presents, mm. uh, the withdrawal thereof. And, and uh, on multiple points that you've uh, spoken of, you highlighted the, the necessity to deal with uh, this in light of the fact that ultimately we're dealing with the reality in which the Islamist organizations there, whether it be the Islamic State, uh, the Al-Qaeda organization or uh, the Taliban, which is one and the same, ultimately would threaten Europe. And I'll c come back to your quote about this, but I'd like to hear more from you as somebody who commanded the British forces in Afghanistan. Do you see uh, a true threat to Western civilization coming out of there, because you used quite strong words at the opening of this program with regard to the challenge that this actually posed to Western society. Yeah, I think um, my major concern over that event in Afghanistan was the, the global strategic problem, the lack of um, credibility that the Western alliance now has. But, but the point you mentioned about terrorism is also extremely significant. And we do have a situation now where a terrorist entity is controlling uh, a country, and a country as important and strategically vital as Afghanistan. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, it, when we, the decision to pull out of Afghanistan was not like, you, you know, not like Vietnam. You pull out of Vietnam and you've got Vietnam left. They're not pursuing you back to the United States of America. They didn't attempt to do so and they were never going to. But these jihadists are pursuing people back to the US, back to Europe, and they will be doing that for the foreseeable future. They, they will be using that country as a, as a, a training ground, a ground to assemble, to, to coordinate operations, to direct operations from. And when President Biden says, oh, but we've got, you know, we're going to join forces with the Taliban to deal with the Islamic State, uh, which he didn't say quite that, but that was his implication. Of course, it's nonsense. The Islamic State is the Taliban. Those people who are members of the Islamic State in Afghanistan were members of the Taliban. They still cooperate. They still work together. They kill each other sometimes, but they're, they're also on the same side fighting for the same agenda. So that, that will emerge from Afghanistan, unfortunately. But possibly almost as serious or, or maybe even more serious than that, we will see the inspiration of, of jihadist victory, the first ever real 
certainly in modern times, the first jihadist major victory over an international power uh, occurred there. Probably the, mo the greatest victory for jihad since the fall of Iran in 1979. And that will inspire jihadists everywhere. We've already seen signs of that happening. And the reason I raise this up, and, and Mr. Soini spoke about this on several occasions happening here in uh, Finland, where we're uh, sitting at right now, where the Russians sent or utilized hybrid migration in order to try and penetrate uh, this uh, country. But I'd like to ask you, Dr. Bardahi, when we're looking also on the southern part of Europe, we're seeing it happen from Morocco, we're seeing it happen from Libya, uh, also to a certain extent uh, still from, from Turkey and, and elsewhere. To what degree are uh, European nations aware that many of those migrants being utilized for this hybrid uh, migration uh, attacks, if, if you will, are those same Islamist, Al-Qaeda, Jabhat uh, al-Nusra, uh, and all those various other organizations that ultimately pose a severe challenge, not only to uh, Europe as a migration problem, but an imminent threat of terror attacks that everybody can see it, occurs time and again in multiple yeah. countries. Oh, sure. Uh, we have to bear in mind one thing first, is that the Islamic State uh, made a plea and uh, asked their militants to avoid Europe during the COVID. You have to remember that, and they took seriously. One of the fact that many uh, terrorists didn't attempt anything in the last year and a half in Europe was following the diktat of the Islamic State at the very beginning. Second, one just a single data is that the last three is Islamist attacks in Spain were conducted in part by people who came to Spain through the immigration flows, illegal immigration flows from North Africa. Uh, so besides hundreds of thousands of people want to reach Europe as a paradise for fulfilling their dreams of a better life, there are elements operative that are using those mafia and channels of moving people and flow of people to enter illegally in, uh, into our soil and move freely within the Schengen space. And, uh, and that's a growing risk, probably. Now that the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda are back into, into work, uh, thanks to the withdrawal from Afghanistan particularly, I think we need to control more and more the flows of uh, people coming into Europe illegally. Whether we are up to the task is an intelligence force, it's a police force that has to be involved, and a lot of coordination among different countries, which we are receiving people from different corners. No? It can be done, but uh, we need to increase our intelligence, our police uh, operation, our coordination. General Nama? Well, I'm very grateful to Richard that he raises now for the second time Afghanistan. Uh, and I think he mentioned one word which I believe is the central word also for our discussion, that's credibility. Um, if there is a conclusion from Afghanistan, then it is that we, the West, lost credibility. Who will trust us in the future if we promise, let's say, AUKUS or something like that, that we promise mutual support if under no real existential threat we cave in and withdraw without thinking of the geostrategic importance of Afghanistan. That's something very different from uh, Vietnam. Uh, Afghanistan is right in the middle between Pakistan, India, China, and Russia, and possibly Iran should it become nuclear as well. 
So we are talking of a focal point of world history. And in such a situation, we Europeans do not pay attention to credibility of our promise to help people. We Germans have promised some 15,000 helpers, Afghan people, to take them out. They are still there, and nobody knows how to do it. Uh, that is something which will not be forgotten. And at, this, at the same time, and I agree with also with what Raphael uh, just said, at the same time, we do not understand what is happening in the south in the southeast of Europe. Their danger is is in the is in the making, and we Europeans, as Timo said, we are so con uh, so confronted and so concentrated on such really decisive thing how to express whether a male could be called male or female or something like that. This is all rubbish. It is but our politicians do not dare to speak of the real issues which threaten us. And if we don't do it now, we will not be able to rally the people behind uh, so that we can protect ourselves. And protection of individuals is still the basic obligation of any state. Absolutely. And I think also uh, each and every one of you already mentioned this, but Mr. Soini, you also spoke about family values, about the yeah. Judeo-Christian values and construct that are integral in uh, the, the patriotic aspects of each country that were founded upon those specific values yeah. in order to facilitate uh, a viable and functioning society. Now, when you look at this and you, you hear the, the different challenges that are presented at this stage, including the migration influx that we soon will continue mm -hmm. to discuss more thoroughly, how do you see this being challenged from a European perspective when lack of leadership is throwing Europe uh, in, in a frenzy, each one in his own direction with an yeah. institution that is derailing everything time and again. Yeah, I think that the focal point, uh, we have missed it uh, altogether because what, uh, what, uh, how the societies are built, it's usually, it's the family, then there is uh, your neighborhood, your community and, and your area and everything else. But nowadays, it should be that there, it's a globalism, and there is a, it's a, it comes from the different angle altogether, from upwards to downwards, and the healthy society grows from families upwards, and and people are taking care of uh, each other in the local communities, the people they know, they 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 choose uh, choose their own leaders, their local councillors, and this is how the the the, the whole system is built up. But, uh, but uh, what we see actually, uh, and the leaders and the European Union, I have been sitting in numerous European conferences, and, and we are talking about this kind of woke issues uh, increasingly and increasingly. And then we, if, we, if, if, we, if we, we had a kind of the phobia label, uh, whether you are homophobic, you are Islamophobic, or whatever, Phobia is a disease. You shouldn't uh, label people with that kind of labels. You should uh, talk uh, what what is the real essence of things, and and I think this is also the big problem for mainstream conservative parties because they don't represent 
what they used to represent. And that is why we have fractions on the right wing and the, and the fractions altogether on the conservative side because the people cannot vote conservatives anymore because of they, they think that uh, there is no conservative party. Everybody is liberal or west of liberal or what, whatsoever. And that is why I think in European Union we have uh, seen a big onslaught of, uh, of other uh, nationalistic parties, uh, not only Marine Le Pen. And I think if we are continuing on this line, we will see a lot of more. The separation between conceptual ideologies and, and perceptions versus biological truth. When yeah, that's right. That. For, for example, if you have a chromosome, you have X and Y. There are none. It's, it's only those two. That's a biological fact. If somebody has a kind of tendency of acting, I, I, I don't take stand on that one. It's an um, uh, individual uh, choice or whatever. But biology is quite uh, mean. For example, I can say my own, from my own behalf that, uh, okay, uh, life begins at conception. Uh, it's, it's, it's no other way than when the fetus is formulated. Whether you then make a political decision, whether it is alive with six weeks, 11 weeks, or 24 weeks, it's politics. Indeed. Bio Biologically, it's, it's clear. Well, we uh, should discuss this more thoroughly <laughs> in the future, and, and this is a topic uh, that is a topic of contention. Uh, nonetheless, we are going to tackle this uh, because we should. Uh, I'd like to come to your quote, uh, Colonel Kemp, and that is, uh, you said on May 2nd of 2021 this year, uh, Iran, Turkey, and Europe may also face a huge additional influx even before Biden's withdrawal. Afghans are already the second largest migrant population in the world. Do you see this influx now flooding towards the West, uh, or is there a, a certain change of perception in recent weeks, in recent months, with regard to how this should be dealt with? And is Europe suddenly waking up, if you will, or is this just a the quiet before the storm? I think uh, <coughs> we've already seen a very significant influx of Afghan refugees since the fall of Kabul uh, outside Afghanistan. Most of them, of course, have gone to Pakistan. Um, many of them have gone to Iran. Others have dispersed in, into different places. Um, and, and, and of course, many of them will come onward into Europe. And, and I think, you know, I, don't, I can't really predict how this is going to evolve and what the numbers are going to involve either. But we will certainly see it, and, and we will see it throughout the duration of the Taliban time. We've only just seen the very beginning of the Taliban's uh, rule in Afghanistan. It will get worse. The country will disintegrate and descend further and further. People are starving already, and they will continue to starve. And we will see a massive, I think, outflow of refugees as a result. So I'd like to touch on another quote, and then we'll continue uh, to the broader discussion. But you, you accuse China of, of fueling. So, to a certain degree, the Taliban in this aspect. And you said the following, Pakistan and Ch uh, China supported the Taliban insurgency for many years. Desperate for Beijing's funds and political backing, the Taliban can be relied on to do all they can to prevent any export of jihadism into China. But we can, uh, we can expect no such efforts from Beijing to prevent terrorist actions against the West. Do you see this as a 
ongoing practice that will fuel then uh, as part of the strategic power competition more and more the utilization of, of hybrid migration and the, the use of those migrants, uh, many of whom are desperately seeking, as Dr. Barakis did mention, uh, the, the great pleasures of living in Europe, but ultimately there are pockets uh, that are now growing and manifesting within those uh, migrants who are illegal either case from trying to then penetrate Europe and advance their ideologies. Yeah, we've seen it and Rafael mentioned an example or a couple of examples of it in, in Spain. Um, we've seen it elsewhere in Europe. We've seen um, the deliberate infiltration of um, terrorist or jihadists, shall we say, into European countries with a view to carrying out attacks. You mentioned China from my quote. Chi China will not hesitate to use jihadists as its proxies and it has plenty of capability to do so. The same with Russia, the same of course with Iran and we're seeing with Iran on a pretty much daily basis. Um, and you know just one example of the way that the China and the Taliban cooperate. China paid the Taliban to kill Uyghur Muslims who were fleeing from China into Afghanistan to take refuge there. They paid them to kill them, their leaders in particular. Um, and, and, and you know there's no, there is no morality, there's no hesitation there is no restraint on their part, whether it be China, whether it be Iran, whether it be Russia, whether it be the Taliban itself, Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State, to use these so-called refugees uh, to, to, to infiltrate and to create cells in the West. And we, I don't think we've really seen the beginning of it yet. It's going to be, a, I think, a long-term, a very widespread problem we're going to be facing. Indeed. Dr. Barakhi? Well, I agree entirely with, uh, with what Richard said. No? I think China has been developing a strategy of the minimum investment and maximum benefit, using without any restraint on morality or limit anyone who can benefit their agenda, as well as other countries. Iran, I mean, Iran had, I think, last year seven attempts in Europe of terrorist attacks, uh, and uh, thwarted by the intelligence and police forces, most of them. Uh, but uh, it, is, it is a problem that has been with us for years and will be growing, unfortunately, in the, in the, in the near future. No? Uh, the European Union uh, was based on a, on a, on a social contract, no? a peace among the European nations, uh, prosperity for everyone, and security for all the European citizens. Uh, we need to evaluate all of those three promises if it stands against the reality, because we have the economic crisis, we have the terrorists in the home front, and uh, peace has been kept, thanks God, uh, at least in the core of Europe. Uh, but uh, it, is, it is problematic for the people to understand inflation, uh, the economic crisis, the disparity of uh, wealth, uh, unemployment rates, uh, which is creating a lack of trust in the institution. And when you don't trust the institutions, uh, there's always a problem. Indeed. Uh, to a certain degree, I am surprised that nobody raised the, the fact that in March of 2021, Wang Yi, the, the foreign uh, affairs or state counselor of, of China, uh, came point blank to Antony Blinken in uh, Alaska and told him, that we are pure nations now and let the games begin about the strategic competition, uh, a monumental event that transitioned for a certain uh, aspect. The United States actually accepted that position or that notion. Well, I, think, I think the problem is that the superpowers 
today are super powerless in the sense that China still hasn't it, and America is losing what they had. So this an is losing for lack of leadership. Yeah, for many reasons. Yeah, indeed, for domestic purpose and the domestic problems. General uh, Nauman, your take on this? Well, uh, I am very much concerned that the United States of America uh, woke up too late to the challenge of China. Uh, it, it began to some extent when Obama was president. He declared the United States to be an Asian power. Leading from behind. Uh, yeah, but he really led from behind and this meant I do nothing, I, let, I just let develop things. And for that reason the Europeans continued to sleep and didn't wake up as well. And if I look from my own country, I cannot speak for others. In Germany, we, our politicians tried to keep people calm by giving them goodies after goodies without asking who will pay for that. Uh, so the next generation will carry the burden for, for that what they have done. But that freedom, individual liberty is something you have to, you have to fight for day by day and you have to pay for, you have to make sacrifices in order to be free. You have to accept responsibility. That was forgotten. And for that reason, Europe is where it is right now. And I think we, we really need a wake-up call. Uh, it should not be the usual wake-up call of German history that we run against the wall and then uh, start to rebuild. But perhaps this time we learn to do it before we are at the wall. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Soini, I'd, I'd like to raise... Uh, a point that you you raised already in May of 2011, specifically also as a follow-up to uh, what General Nelmanow said, and you highlighted the 6% inflation that we're speaking yeah. about. Uh, you said the following uh, uh, symbiosis has developed between politicians and banks. Our political leaders borrow even more money to pay off the banks, which return the favor by lending even more money back to our, uh, our governments. And this is an ongoing cycle. Where is Europe heading with uh, so much expenditure occurring time and time again? And uh, the European Union is very keen on, on spending the money everywhere, but yeah, that where is, does it come from? That is, that is the real big big problem. This is kind of a spinning wheel which, uh, which goes on and on and, uh, and when it started actually after the Lehman crisis 2008 and, uh, and there were a few banks who were too big to fail and, and that was uh, the kind of the, the, the bailout policies which started and uh, actually uh, it wasn't the shareholders who took the burden, but the taxpayers. And, and that caused moral hazard. And when the, the politicians noticed that, okay, if we bail out the banks, they will, they will lend us money that we can, uh, we can buy the goodies uh, for, for everybody from uh, year to year. And this is ongoing now, actually. And, and, when, when, and then there is a symbiosis of of these two and and, uh, and and that has been going on on 15 years and now when we have this COVID which was uh, of course a serious uh, serious hit also to the economics what was the answer borrowing more money and and and, and from here from where 
from the banks and, uh, and who will pay the bills the next generation, like uh, General Nauman said. This is what is happening. Colonel Kemp? Yeah, well, I agree with what both of them say, and particularly the point about the next generation. My kids will certainly be paying, and probably their kids as well, for the horrific mistakes that have been made by this generation. Um, and I think it, it, it's the, 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 the problems in 2008, the problems today, including the problems with the coronavirus and the fallout from the coronavirus, um, are causing, have caused and will continue to cause increased distrust among politicians yeah. um, in, in every country and in the EU itself. And so I think I would, I would predict that we will see in the future, not necessarily next year, but maybe in future years, we will see a great, much greater difficulty for politicians to keep control of their countries. We're already seeing various extremists rising up in different countries in, in reaction to the failed political policies of the current leadership. Um, and I think, I think the EU will probably find it problematic to hold itself together under those conditions when the when there is such doubt about the political leadership. And we spoke earlier on about uh, Ang Angela Merkel um, and, you know, her, I'm sure she was a v very accomplished leader in very many ways. But one of the things she was responsible for, I believe, was the Brexit. And I, 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 I was somebody who supported Brexit. But nevertheless, if you didn't support Brexit, then I think you could put the blame at the door of Angela Merkel, who in particular refused to allow any leeway any negotiation with Cameron when he was trying to kind of come up with a different deal with the EU before the Brexit referendum and if, if there'd been more flexibility, not just Merkel but I think particularly Merkel, more flexibility in that then we probably would not have seen Brexit come about. Not to forget I'm, that she... I'm glad that you're saying it was not alone Merkel. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> well, she was the one who went to well. President Recep Tayyip Erdogan just with the Council of the Dutch Prime Minister at the time in order to coordinate a certain deal for all Europeans at the, uh, that stage, something that indicated that uh, she did take the initiative of a leader but didn't necessarily listen to the voices of all the people within the framework of the European yeah, Union. She occasionally uh, had extreme difficulties to come to a clear-cut conclusion and to express it in a clear-cut way. She was always looking for harmony, for, for compromises, and uh, that was presumably one of her weaknesses. And uh, unfortunately, I have to agree that some responsibility for the Brexit uh, is linked to her. No, we're celebrating her as the leader of the EU. Let's give her <laughs> the, the, the credit or the blame for Brexit, depending Indeed, on well. And can I say one, one, one more thing which Please. is significant. Uh, when when uh, the Eurozone had the crisis, uh, UK didn't pay, and also uh, Denmark and Sweden, who were out of the Eurozone, didn't pay. But now when UK is out, this new bailout policy is uh, effects to all the countries, not only the Eurozone. Now the Swedes and the Danes and the rest of the countries who are members of the European Union will take part of this, uh, this uh, training. And, and that is a, a significant change in the, in the policies uh, in the European Union because there's, there's, what is the world uh, when UK was still in uh, it was uh, usually uh, Dutch, us Finns, and, uh, and the Nordic countries 
uh, we were kind of the very fiscal way, very tight, also like Germany. And now the the focal point is moving to the south much more or less, and we are we have lost our cornerstone. So so uh, there is nothing more than pay. That is something what <laughs> something one has to mention when one talks about Angela Merkel. Uh, she was very well aware that Britain in the European Union was an element which allowed her to balance the one or the other aspiration coming from France and the uh, Mediterranean countries. post Sarkozy. And she, was, she knew exactly that without Britain she can't do it any longer. Indeed. Yeah, and that, that is what now is happening, yeah. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program and I'd like to give each and every one of you one last time for 2021 to identify what was a particular point also within the context of uh, this discussion that you find as a point that European leaders should look at and evaluate and, and self-reflect, if you will, in order to understand how to move better to uh, the uh, next year up ahead? Dr. Bardaki, we'll start with you. Well, I think uh, all political leaders, disregarding the colors in Europe, should learn the word resignation because uh, what happened and all the stu stupid things they did in the past uh, year and a half and everyone is still glued into their post is something to me incomprehensible and sincerely morally unacceptable. I think uh, the authoritarian trees that we have seen in all governments in Europe are undermining the future of our democratic system. Today, the German uh, Minister of Justice made a call to for, forbid uh, a ban uh, telegram as a way of communicating because they are apparently uh, giving some room to anti-vaccine people. That's not the way to promote democracy in the world. That's not the values that European has held in the past. And I think the, thanks to the COVID and the manipulation and the fears and the, of the COVID pandemic, governments are really backpedal from liberal democracy into something new. And that's something that we, we have seen in the 20 and the 21st, and it's something I would like to see in the 22nd. No? Democracies are playing into the hand of totalitarian uh, regimes. I think that the people are taking benefit for their own interests, no? and the state is expanding to levels we've never seen before. General Nauman? Well, uh, my take from 2021 is that we have to restore credibility of our Western idea. And that means that we have, that our politicians, our leaders, if should we have leaders, will speak up and will tell their people, we have to take responsibility and we have to act. And if necessary, we have to take risks. Otherwise, we will disappear. Indeed. Colonel Camp? Well, I think, again, two things, if I may. One is um, sort of slightly to take up Rafael's point on um, political leadership. and. And that is, I found it very interesting how pol politicised COVID has been. And I know everything is a political issue, but, but it, certainly speaking for Britain, be, wearing masks, being keen on the maximum possible restrictions being imposed on our society is very much a left-wing issue. And yes, in Britain we have a, allegedly a right-wing government, but you know, the, the, they, and they've been very authoritarian about the way they've handled things. But if you look at British Parliament, for example, on the, on, on the Conservative benches, you'll see MPs without masks, most of them. 
on the labor on the labor bench you'll see most of them with masks and i think it, it's a, an interesting reflection on the extent to which the left likes to control people's lives and they want to use the excuse of covid i think to improve that increase that control and okay shortly yeah and i i would say that bring back the cornerstones democracy uh, athena style uh, rule of law roman style and judeo-christian values europe style you still have time for your second point. I was, I was merely going to say that, the, again, looking at Britain, um, I know Britain is not <coughs> the only part of Europe, but looking at Britain, we've seen this year, we've seen a massive influx of, of um, migrants coming into Britain from France across the Channel in small boats, quite a few of them drowning as well, and nothing to stop it, absolutely nothing to stop it. Um, and, and, you know, I think we need to look at the example of Poland in the strong line they've taken uh, and look at, you know, historically look at Australia and the way they stopped their massive refugee influx. And we need to start finding some way of adopting a, a, a line that just prevents our country and other countries from becoming open, open season for all. Anyone who wants to come, come Indeed. on. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank General Nauman, Dr. Bardahi. Colonel Kemp and Mr. Soini for being part of today's program. I'd like also to thank our uh, team in the back who have been working very hard for this program and uh, everything that they do uh, does make this possible. Also, uh, Elena Kerr, who is uh, helping with the research and, and other people who have uh, contributed so uh, generously in order to make this possible. So thank you. Merry Christmas once again to all of you at home. And we will see you next month for yet again TV7's Europa Stands. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.